Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. And all the way through the letter, he's saying, Jesus is here for you. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the high priest who's been given all authority, who sits at the right hand and ever lives to intercede for you. Jesus will never leave you. It's already said that earlier in this chapter, in chapter 13. And in saying those things, he's saying, I'm telling you these things to compel you to move towards an obedient, sacrificial life, trusting Jesus to help you. And you know, um, one of the things that you and I have to wrestle with in our lives is we are so easily intimidated, aren't we? Just being open about our faith, just praying for opportunities, going about the day and asking the Lord, give me the courage, call me out of this sort of hidden secretive Christianity. And so, you know, if we move along in the slide, I just want to kind of point, um, oh, sorry, I'll jump to this in a second, but one of the things that I want us to see in this text is that this is a call to Christians to move out together to an open Christianity, a public Christianity, an unafraid Christianity. Earlier this year in a Gospel Coalition blog, Tim Keller asked the question, in fact, reflected on the problem that less and less Christians are willing to be open about their faith. He gave several reasons in the article. He actually was referring to a um, research done by the Lutheran Hour Ministries, um, which noticed a substantial change in people from just from 1993 to the present who believed, Christians, who would affirm the statement, I believe that every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. That statement, I believe that every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith, has plummeted. It's plummeted. Just as a basic thought that we are the ones called to be salt and light. We are the ones to call, called to share our faith. And Keller gives a, several reasons why this may be. He says one is it's more complicated today to share your faith. And what he meant by that is there's a lot of people out there who don't start with the same language as us. There are a lot of people who don't have a biblical background. They don't have uh, an idea that there is uh, one supreme God. They don't have a moral code by which they think that there's a common morality by which we all live. So there's just basic complexities to sharing the gospel. We don't start in the same place they did a generation ago. He says it's more difficult because at one point in time, not too long ago, Christianity was seen as having a good influence on the culture. Most people would look at Christianity and say, well, at least Christianity is helpful to the culture. Now it's not that way. And so you have the, the barriers and the obstacles of a prejudice against Christianity. And of course, he adds, Keller adds that he said that young adults are now repeatedly told that no one has the right to tell others what to believe, except that statement, right? You go to university and they'll tell you no one has the right to tell you what to believe, and they'll tell you that you have to believe that. And he says that's the culture in which we live. But he says that there are several things that we need to think about that will help us be more public about our faith. He says that we need, first of all, a deeper sensitivity. And what he means by a sensitivity is not sensitivity to others per se, it's tied into that, but a sensitivity to your own brokenness. 
the sensitivity to your own sinfulness. It's brokenness that binds you to broken people. It's a sensitivity to your weakness that opens up the door. Not this self-righteous, you need to get your lives together, but a desperate need for Jesus that you feel acutely that opens up the conversation because you feel somebody else's pain. I mean, this morning we have prayer time here at the church at 9 and, and just, just to feel the brokenness in our prayer time. It's really good for a pastor to feel the brokenness of the people before you stand up and lead on a Sunday morning. To come in and just not start spewing off your truth and all your preparation, but to realize that what we are are broken people who believe in a sufficient Savior. Isn't that good news? That we have a God who's sufficient and He's able, but we are broken and needy, and we need, we, we need, a, we need a lot of Phyllis's standing up and telling us that life is hard and it's been costly, but God is good, and, and I would not change the story because He is a faithful God. Keller says we not only need sensitivity, but we need, he says, we need courage. But it's the courage that is born out of believing you're unconditionally loved. Not the courage that thinks, I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's the courage that says, the only thing I care about is what Jesus thinks. And he has loved me in my brokenness. He has bought me when I was rebellious. You know, so I want you this morning just to take a few moments and think about who you are when, if anybody else here knew the real you. And I'm going to tell you this, Jesus knows the real you. He knows the real you. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he went to the cross. Not because he didn't know you. He did know you and he didn't abandon you. And so today you go to that Jesus and you can have courage. You go out into a world that wants to put shame on you, wants to remind you of your sin and failure. The people look at you and look back at you and say, we know who you are. I remember when I came to Christ. You know, I remember when I dared to you know, follow the call of God into ministry. I had a lot of people back there saying, you, you know, you, I can still hear Aunt June, my aunt, by the barbecue, but I believe now anything's possible with God. And that's what Paul said, right? God chose him the chief of sinners. And so courage is born not out of a cocky American individualism. Courage is born out of a deep appreciation of the love of Jesus Christ that is for us, that will never abandon us, who will carry us through the darkest, quietest nights when the radio transmitter does not say what you're hoping to say, that sinking feeling. And then the voice of the Word of God ministering to your heart and the promises of God sustaining you And the third thing that Keller says is that we need to get over the indifference. So he talks about our our insensitivity that's got to be overcome by our brokenness and our, our lack of courage that's overcome by the love of Christ. And he talks about indifference. Let me read you this quote. He said, the biggest reason we keep our mouths shut is that we're failing in love for people. Not falling in love, but failing in love. The gospel produces love. The problem is ultimately in our hearts, not in our lack of training or knowing how to answer all the questions. So Wednesday nights here, we're doing this course called Tactics. 
And I can just tell you this, as much as we're walking through, how do you ask questions? How do you engage people? How do you think through at a real level uh, to talk to them about Jesus? You can do all of that, but if you have not love. Keller in his article goes to John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. And he points to the woman at the well, (laughs) talks about all these people coming back from the Samaritan village with her to meet this Jesus who told her everything about himself. And he said this woman came back not because she had been tactically equipped, but because she had fallen in love with Christ and loved these people. And that's what drove her. She didn't know how to share the gospel. She just didn't know how to be silent about Jesus. Isn't that the key issue for us? The key issue is not not that we don't have strategy. The key issue is that we don't have love and confidence and courage. So, I'm going to walk through this really quickly. This will be one of those Ripley Believe It or Not moments. So, let me walk you through this text and show you first thing. The text starts with Jesus. Look at verse 12. If you are going to go out, even though it costs you, even though there's ridicule, what's going to move you is that Jesus did that first for you. Isn't that true? So look at verse 12. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify through the, the people through his blood. And so we have Jesus going out and offering his blood. In the Jewish mind, it would, they would go back to the consecration of Aaron and the priests in the Old Testament. And when Aaron and the priests were sanctified or consecrated for the ministry, they offered sin offerings and sprinkled their garments with blood. And then the bodies of those offerings were taken outside the city, outside the camp, and were burned outside the camp, and that's where they're burned. That's the text being taught here. And what we're supposed to think, if we were in their minds, is just as Jesus... Just as uh, Moses and Aaron set the priests aside for God's service through the shedding of blood and those offerings were taken outside, Christ became that offering to make you a consecrated priest. That's what's being said here. Jesus is the high priest, but we are all priests under Jesus Christ called to do his ministry. And aren't you glad that as you think on this text that we are not worthy, but Christ did the work? And so one of the things that we have to have if we are going to be bold to share the gospel is we have to have a clear, deep, soul-transforming appreciation of the fact that Jesus took our humiliation. It's the picture. That He went outside. That Jesus was an outcast. Take your Bible and go to Isaiah 53. Just for a moment. Isaiah 53. This famous text of Scripture describes Jesus. You know, and there's a lot of writing on this. I mean, the greatest humiliation of Jesus is Jesus dying and rejected by his own father as a guilty sinner. From heaven's throne to Calvary's cross is an infinite humbling that none of us could ever comprehend. But in Isaiah chapter 53, we see Jesus humiliated. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up 
before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. You see in Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus is not given high praise, high prestige, high attractiveness, high applause, even from the get-go amongst men. He was what? Verse 3. Despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So we saw put shame upon him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet what did we do? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Isn't this a marvelous text? 700 years before the coming of Christ, we have this great description of the humiliation of Christ. But here's what we're called to do in in Hebrews chapter 13. If you want to be courageous, one of the first things to do is pull back and realize that my courage is not based on me and how I think of me. My courage is based on Christ and what he was willing to do. He's taken my shame. He has borne my humiliation. The humiliation, the curse, the, the punishment that should have been on me, he took upon himself willingly. Can you savor that for this morning? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. Christ took that, bore it, took the shame, died in your place. One writer said this, My dear friends, we need joy, we need power, we need boldness, we need zeal for kingdom work. Here's the way you do all these things. Dwell on the humiliation of Christ. His profound love for you. Go forth into the world and pour out His love on those whom God brings your way. Jesus suffered, gave Himself up for us because He loves us with an everlasting covenantal love. He will never forsake His people. You look at what He did at Calvary and you ask what Paul says. If God did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not along with Him freely give us all things? Right? He will never forsake His people. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. The only way to have courage and to be willing to bear shame is to look at the shame bearer, the humiliation taker for our sin, and delight that he did that for me. Love, when, you, when you're blown away by Jesus' forgiveness for you, you will share Jesus' forgiveness with others. To the extent that you're not blown away, you will hold it to yourself. That's how it works. Here's the second Thing. There's a whole lot there, but I'm skipping deep appreciation. A united resolution. I say this carefully because I think what the text is saying here is that when he calls us to go forth, we need not simply to hear our typical Western individualism. It's plural. So go to ver- the, the next verse in verse 13. Therefore, let who go out? Go outside. Go out. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. And this call is, one, to go outside the camp, right? That's what the call is. So hear that today. He's calling us to go outside our acceptable circle of friends and approval of people. Go outside the camp. That's the call to go out. Where, who are we going to, though? We're going to Jesus. And that's the key. 
When I'm going to share my faith, do I start out with the point that when I go out to live Monday, when I go out to live Tuesday, when I go to work, when I go to school, when I'm interacting with friends and I'm being listening to the Holy Spirit and responding to opportunities to share my brokenness, the story of Jesus, when I'm thinking through all of those things, am I first thinking that I'm not going to someone, I'm going to Jesus? Because Jesus is out there building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. So the call is corporate. Let us go out. That's why at the end of Sunday mornings, and I pray the benediction over you, I'm looking at you because we are going out. Got that? We're going out into the world. That's where he's sending us. Going out with the hope of the gospel. Going out to testify, not that we're better, but that we're broken. But we have great hope in Jesus Christ. Going out to Jesus and bearing the reproach of Jesus. So one of the things you have to realize is that when people are not willing to be receptive to you, it's not about you. Who's it about? It's Jesus. It shouldn't. It shouldn't surprise me when people mock and ridicule me. They hated the master. They'll hate his servants thank god that jesus persisted with me even though i was a jesus hater aren't you glad that jesus saves you when you've been stubborn and rebellious and sinful and distant aren't you thankful for that aren't you glad he's tenacious are some of you here today because jesus is tenacious that's the story of our lives thank god jesus has been tenacious with me let's be tenacious with them because jesus is at work in us, to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So that's, I put that as an us. Christians, it's kind of like, that's probably a bad illustration, these spontaneous illustrations probably need more correction than clarity, but (laughs) do you know uh, the Spartacus movie? You know that scene at the end of the Spartacus movie? Or if those of you who don't know it, it's a million years old. It's Kirk Douglas, right? And it's a scene where, you know, they're about to get killed. They've been defeated. They've rebelled against the Roman army. They're, the Roman army is about to. And so he, he wants to look for the ringleader. So he says, who is Spartacus? And what does Spartacus? Spartacus steps forward. I am Spartacus. And then what happens? His team, everybody steps forward. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. And see, the problem is we've so individualized our Christian faith that we forget that all over the place we're stepping out and saying, I am. Not in a wrong sense, Jesus Christ, but I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong. Imagine the impact if the Holy Spirit gave courage to all of us to step out and say, I am Christ's servant. And we identify. That's the call. It's collective. Let's go to the next one. A confident expectation. Here's what I, what I want. I want to say this a little bit differently. Hopefully it's helpful. What you need to realize, the confident expectation is that we have a future hope and we have a future home, but let me put it this way. You will never feel at home in this world. You will never feel at home in this world. Don't we try to feel at home in this world? My dear friends, this isn't home. And so, so a lot of times, I don't know, you know, we, we do a lot of texting of quotes. Marianne did, I almost called her by her nickname, but I won't call her by her nickname. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. Um, can you go to the next slide, please, and see if my... 
Oh, I don't have the quote there. I'll have to read the quote to you. Um, I have a quote here by um, Randy Alcorn. He says, nothing is uh, more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen TV, a new car, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy us. Isn't that a great statement? So we, we often are wrong in our thinking. That's the reason why we don't share Christ. We think we want, if we just had a good job, if we just had the right person we were married to, if we just had this fulfilling life, if we had all the pieces of the puzzle together, then life would be okay. So we're not willing to risk it. We're not willing to think beyond that. But the reality is, if you belong to God, and if you're a human being, you were not made to find your satisfaction in anything less than God himself. You were made for God. You were made for home. Home is heaven. Isn't that good news? But that helps you. That frees you. So that's why, oh, my goodness, I did have the quote up there. Is that the right one? Go back to it. I didn't even know if I had the right one up there. I have so many. I have like four Randy Alcorn quotes. Was that the right Randy Alcorn quote? Beautiful. Thank you. She's the, of all the PowerPoint, she's the most beautiful one. <laughs> people that we have back there. Let's go to the last one. Here's the last thing in the text. He's calling for an unhindered exaltation. And what he's actually saying to them is what drives the Christian to share their faith is not simply to go to someone and say that you need Jesus, not just, it's to go and tell them Jesus is worth it all. And what he does in the text is he actually says, let us do two things. He says in verse 15 and 16, he says, let us, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise. And then he uses the phrase, the fruit of what? Lips that confess his name. So that's the first thing. Dear friends, you should identify with Jesus. Be unashamed to say you belong to Jesus. To be unafraid to li- That's what he's calling for, a public profession of faith. But he also says at the end of that text, if you look at verse 16, he says, um, and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such what? sacrifices are pleasing to God. So Christ offers himself as a sacrifice. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice. The sacrifice of praise pleases God. And what he's talking about is identifying with Christians who are being persecuted. Because some of them lost their homes. Some of them went to jail. Some of them paid a high price for the gospel. And some of these people were afraid of paying any more. They're afraid of going public. It might cost me. And so we do that. We do it with our career we do it with our education, right? If we don't speak up at school, if we dare to speak up, we have all these kind of things. We've got to be wise with all of that. But at the end of the day, what are we afraid of? What are we doing? We often neglect to stand beside someone who's paying the price for the gospel, to pray for them, to sacrifice, to give, to ask God, how do we go forward? How do we get the we this morning on this? This is a we sermon. This is not a bunch of Christians individualistically going out to try to fight the battle. You will not stand on your own. That's Phyllis's testimony, right? She'll testify to that, that God had surrounded her, continued to surround her. She continues to be an instrument by which others are strengthened in the hope of the gospel. Let's pray for that. But we are called to go forward together. That, you know, and this happens for me, which I'm really thankful for. I, I talk to people, and then they tell me they've been talking to some of you. 
It's not one person. It's the community realizing they're a bunch of odd ducks on Church Lake Road who really take Jesus seriously. Who care enough to be there when you're hurting, to care for each other when they're hurting, to speak of Jesus whenever they can. But here's the thing about them. They're not just preaching. They're praising. They're giving glory to God. They're telling the story of Jesus. They're singing songs in prison at night like Silas. That's what they're doing. There's a song. There's a melody. There's a ring to our proclamation. And it's this. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Let's pray. So God in heaven, as we bow before you, we thank you, dear God, that you do keep calling people out of darkness into light, out of fear of death into eternal life, out of cowardice into courage, out of deathly silence into joyful song, out of centered protectiveness into sacrificial service. God, would you call us? Give us a clear vision of Jesus who was humiliated so that we might belong to him. Give us a vision of We thank you for this morning. We ask now for the ministry of the Holy Spirit don't let the word be snatched out of our hearts. Don't let it be taken from our minds. Give us a vision of Jesus and let it overflow. We ask in his wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.